Chapter 2 What Difference Does It Make? I feel watched when I turn onto the dirt road leading to the dead end. I can see this desolate strip in the dark of my dreams, the wild growth of untouched Appalachian wilderness, stifling on all sides. The hanging branch blocking the sun can block the gaze of God. His face is always shown on this small stretch of land. Why, I don't know. The house resembles an uncle I haven't seen in years. A little more gray, a few more wrinkles. It would make a pretty picture on a postcard if I hadn't lived here for a chunk of my life. The shape by the window I park beside is surely Mom waiting for me. The front door of the quaint log cabin opens and she smiles. There's nothing rooted in that smile except love. Make it okay? she asks, after I hug her small frame. The plane had to crash land in Asheville, otherwise I was headed to Aruba. A little color might do you some good. How's Dad? Come into the kitchen for a while. He's fine. Just went down for a nap. Want something to drink? How about a shot of bourbon? Stop it. Her accent is polite Southern, sweet Southern, the kind the movies never seem to get right. There's more character in that tone than in a bottle of some outrageously expensive vintage wine. She makes me a glass of sweet tea, and I'm once again reminded how there's never a good substitute for the real thing. How's work going? I'd be fine if I didn't have to deal with temperamental artists. I stand at the kitchen table and look into the family room. Good to see you got it replaced. Mom nods, but doesn't appear like she wants to bring it up. I sent them the check for the window. I guess I never really thought that the bookend I threw would actually go through two panes. But I wasn't really thinking about much of anything when I threw it, except how much I hated my father. I didn't want to break glass. I wanted to break his face. That was the last time I'd been here. The last thing I did before going out the door and driving away and vowing never to come back to this place. Mom remembers, but I'm sure Dad doesn't. I don't even know if he remembers who he is anymore, much less the curses I hurled out as I chucked some big block that looked like a remnant of a Roman sculpture from the New Testament. That was over a year ago. The older I get, the more I discover how ruthless and uncaring time can be. His eyes are see-through glass, his face curled up in a joker-like smile on only one side. I'm a moving picture to him, as meaningless as cable television or blowing rain. I'm ready, and I stand and swallow. Hi, Dad. It's easy to say those words with this tone and this security when there's nobody looking back, when there's nobody listening on the other side, demanding an apology or demanding anything. I see him shift forward, then back, in the wheelchair, so slight, steady, like the twitching hand of a clock with a dying battery. It's Tyler, Mom says behind me, speaking in a way I've never heard her speak to my father. She's no longer a servant. She's now his interpreter. Hearing her words moves me more than seeing him here like this. Here, but not here, alive and breathing, but not really. He looks feeble and frail. The heart attack might as well have killed him. 
It took that strong, seemingly unbreakable backbone and snapped it in half. Why don't you sit down? I follow my mother's advice and then watch as she slips away. He coughs and sounds like an animal. I study the face. Then I just sit there for a long time. I hear myself take a breath, the things we take for granted. It's remarkable, really, this life. I want to ask God why he didn't just take him. What purpose does this shell of a man in front of me have? God's timing, I hear Charles W. Harrison say. You can't speak to me, you're a vegetable. Want to know what hell is, son? Don't ask me that question again. I see you and hear you, T.W. My father's the only one who's ever called me T.W., and only at selective moments, teachable moments.